You're listening to a podcast by Change My Relationship, featuring licensed marriage and family therapist and author, Carla Downing. These podcasts are designed to provide you with practical solutions based on biblical truths for all your relationships. Today, Carla will be interviewing a guest who has experienced a relationship problem and successfully worked through it. So today, I have with me Diane Langan. When I first met her, she was actually teaching my class on transforming difficult relationship with women that she was mentoring. She is a life coach. She is an amazing lady with an amazing story and a ministry that has come out of her story with working with people to help them heal their relationships that they've had with difficult fathers. The reason that I chose this for my first podcast is because it's just such a common occurrence that people have just difficult, problematic relationships with their fathers that unfortunately continue to impact them through their entire lives. And I see people in their 70s and 80s still talking about that pain and people even in their 50s and 60s with fathers still alive, desperately searching for approval from that father or connection just has such a negative impact on their lives that I thought this would be a good one to start with. So welcome, Diane. Thank you, Carla. Thank you for having me today. Looking forward to sharing the story and giving some tools maybe and inspiration to people as well. Actually, I would like for you Mm -hmm. to end with some specific takeaways that you can give to the people listening to help them to kind of start on this journey themselves. So why don't you go ahead and tell us about your childhood? When I was a toddler, like a year and a half old, my parents got a divorce. It was not a good marriage up until that point. I was one of four children, or am one of four children, and my biological father decided that to relieve the guilt that he was feeling and the pressure he got from his parents, because in the the 60s it wasn't common for a man to leave his family of four, that he would tell everyone that my little brother and I weren't his. And I didn't know that until I was a little bit older. I had not heard the actual words, but I did feel a difference when he, the few times that he came to visit, he moved out of state rather quickly and uh, we didn't see him often, but when Mm -hmm. he did come, there was a huge difference between how he treated my older sister and brother and my little brother and I. That was rather confusing, I would say, as a a child, you don't quite get it. And then um, as I grew to be a teenager, I sort of had this mistaken notion that if he got to know me, he Mm -hmm. would like me or love me or, and I, you know, you crave that acceptance, even though I had a mom and a grand grandparents that were just wonderful people and did the best they could together. We lived with my grandparents. My mom couldn't make it as a single mom with uh, four mm-hmm. kids by herself very easily. I, when I was 14, this first time I went to visit my bio dad by myself and it was pretty disastrous. Could you um, tell us a little bit more about what happened? Well, he had already been married for the then the third time. I had a half-brother who was three years younger than me. There was a difference between the way he, that he treated his son with that wife and, and me. It was just a very awkward visit. It was around Christmas time. I flew to where his family was, and they all just acted like I was some stranger. And that was supposed to be my grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins. And I knew very few of them because of his how he had ostracized us. 
So when I was 14, um, and this is as for a 14 year old, you immediately assume there's something wrong with you. Yes. You just think that you think there's, I must be flawed. I must not be good enough because it was literally in one case at a hotel ballroom where this huge family thing is happening. There's like probably a hundred or more people there. And I got one gift, very small gift, and I was just an afterthought. And so at some point during that same visit, my bio dad sat me down and told me he didn't think I was his. And I could literally tell you what the room looked like. Wow. And because it was so impacting on me, like I, I sort of, sort of knew, but to hear him say that and to have it verified that he thought that, I don't remember what I said back. I don't remember the rest of the visit. That's all I remember from that moment is just how shocked I was. What were you expecting going there? I mean, you, you said you had a rocky <laughs> relationship with yeah. him prior to that. Did you go there thinking? I had no relationship with him really, because when he would come to visit, it was always just drop into town and leave quickly. He never spent a lot of time with us. No one ever went to like stay with him at any place that I'm aware of anyway. It was almost like he would show up and in our driveway, hang around for a couple of hours, bring mm. some gifts, usually nice, nice gifts for my older brother and sister and crap for my little brother and I. I. I just had myself convinced that if I was around him, he would love me. And my older brother and sister had gone down to, had gone to see him mm -hmm. too, from Michigan to, t to Texas or to Tennessee, places that he had lived. And they had always come back with these big stories. So I just, and all these presents and clothes and stuff. And I thought it's my turn. I was old enough to travel and, and by myself. And so that's what I thought it was my turn. And uh, it didn't work out like that. Wow. What was yeah. the impact on you as an adolescent? I know for <sighs> girls, that's a really critical time. Do you yeah. remember how that affected you when you got home? Yeah, I remember pretty much coming back thinking there was something wrong with me. It shakes your confidence to the core. I don't think I really struggled a lot with self-doubt and, and that, those types of feelings before that because it wasn't in my face the way that it was there. And I think my mom and my grandparents did a pretty good job of balance, even though the few times that Randall showed up, he made those big differences. I didn't see it otherwise. So I think I was able to dismiss some of that mm -hmm. growing up, or it just didn't impact me the way it did when I was 14 and sitting, you know, going, going on that. I think it was probably the two weeks of Christmas break that I had gone to spend with him and his his family, which I think if they had accepted me, it might've been easier even, but they didn't either. So it was like I was just a, a side note. Did you wonder if you were his or did you know that you were and trust your mom on that? I don't remember exactly. I don't think I thought about that part of it a lot. Like, oh, does this mean my mom committed adultery or whatever? I knew that he had because, you know, he had lived down the street with a girlfriend at first when he moved out of the house. And I don't think I ever asked my mom anything about it till I was older. We've, we had several conversations when I got a little bit older about that and mm -hmm. she swore, and I just knew the kind of person she was, that I was his. And that I was actually the only of the four children that were planned. Like they said, let's have another child and decided to have, and I, I was the product of that. I don't think I really ever doubted I was his. I just couldn't figure out why he didn't want to be my dad. I think that was the thing, the bottom line of it. Why doesn't he want to be my dad? And did that affect your choices as an adolescent? Oh, yeah. I definitely know that it messed with my head. Just not having 
you know, all my other friends had dads and I won't say they were all wonderful dads, but they were there in the home providing. And my mom was the one that worked. My grandmother took care of us. And so, you know, you, your home is different than your friend's houses because in the sixties, I was one of two kids in my kindergarten class that was from a divorced home. Mm -hmm. One of two, the adolescent Diane had trouble with feeling valued, feeling like I mattered to anybody, this the significance. So I think I was more prone to premarital sex for sure and 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 just bad choices along the way. I think I was just happy for any attention I got was uh, even though I was getting good messages from church and home. We were always taken to church. I would say probably I think that I know you didn't ask me this, but probably the only mistake that my mom made because she really she really sacrificed a lot to, to provide for all four of us children. She never asked, and I'm not sure she knew to ask, that how is this making you feel? Yeah. And this is not your fault. And she let me go live with him. Then I didn't, the next thing is I actually figured I didn't give another shot. And I went to live with him oh, wow. when I was 15. Yeah. Yeah, that was interesting, which was six months of rejection daily. Don't ask me why I thought that was a good idea after that two weeks, but I did. Wow, Somehow. that is incredible. Yeah. But but that just reinforces how critically important it is for us to have that connection with yeah. our fathers. Yeah. For us to know that we are loved and that we're approved and we have that link. And especially for girls, it is your if you don't get that attention from your dad, you we do seek it out in yeah. with affection from men, other men. Mm -hmm. And usually there's extra promiscuity. Mm -hmm. That goes along with that. And back then, the moms didn't know no. to talk about that's emotional exactly things. Thing. Exactly. And that's why I don't hold it against her. Even mm -hmm. though she knew he was a pretty immoral character, he had been, even when they were married, some, you know, she knew some things. But she didn't want to deny me the chance to potentially have a relationship with him either. And so I did go live with him for six months of my uh, sophomore year of school. It was pretty disastrous. I was pretty much looked at as a maid and a babysitter. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was not treated like a child, like a daughter in any way, shape, or form. I don't have a problem with teenagers having responsibility, but there wasn't the balance of love and care, and there, there just was no interest in, in me as a person. Kind of like a Cinderella experience. Kind of, very much know? so. Yeah, yeah. They even left to go on a vacation and left me there to take care of the house and the animals at 15 at 15 and and gave taught me to drive and and gave me a car to drive so i could do his errands to drive illegally oh yeah while he was gone oh yeah well don't no, i did that all the time because i was his errand girl and they and went on vacation like they went a nice on vacation. vacation yeah they went to san francisco from uh, houston and uh took my little brother you know the half brother and just um, said you're going to stay here there wasn't any asking you're going to stay here and take care of the house wow. and the animals and we're going to go on this trip what am i left with thinking you know right no yeah. fairy godmother came along and no. changed everything for you <laughs> no and i was scared to death it was a big house and i was there yeah. by myself it wasn't a good experience wow um, that was just the way it was so what made you give up and leave if you were only there for six months. I felt so unbelievably unloved. I just felt really unloved and, and it was evident every day. And I think I just gave up that, okay, this isn't going to change. Also, he and his third, then third wife started having marital problems and there were wow. screaming fits and, and yelling things. And she left him and I was there then by myself with him, which was, she was at least nice to me. She was nicer to me than he was. We sort of did girl stuff together here and there, and she made sure 
that, you know, I wasn't totally emotionally abused. So she and I actually still have a relationship, but she left him. She couldn't take it. Yeah. And because he wasn't finished using my services as a, you know, maid and a errand girl, he wouldn't pay for my trip home. So I had to get a job and get a donut shop and get and enough get, money. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I saved money in a mayonnaise jar under my bed and until I could buy a ticket because my mom couldn't afford it. Okay. And then when you got back, was it just oh, kind gosh. of the same or worse? Well, from my psyche, it was, and from, from who I was, it was worse. Yeah. I came home even more damaged because I had no rules there either. There was no supervision, none whatsoever. So yeah. I was drinking and dating whoever I wanted. There was not, as long as I got the, my list done and the laundry done and the, you know, laundry that was available, I was literally a, a servant. Okay, so then you, as you went through high school like that, what about your young adult life? Well, I was still pursuing a relationship with him, which is funny because a little bit, like I always, I think I was also competing to try to prove that I was worth something. So I turned and, you know, turned, I was pretty good at sales and smart and I'd gone to college and I didn't graduate because I, I was paying for everything myself and working full time. And so, but I, I found out I was really good at sales. So I, I ended up being pretty successful in the art business. I sold corporate art to both corporations and designers in the Dallas district. And, and so it affected me by, I was driven to be successful, to prove that I was worth something. Yeah. But in the meanwhile, you know, I was dating and struggling and finding a, a quality relationship along the way. Okay. And then what, at what age did you get married? I was 26. Okay. And no, uh, 25. I'm sorry. How do you think that this whole situation with your father impacted your marriage, your marriage oh. choice, being newlywed? I was pretty naive about what it took to be married. I had not really been around a happy married. My mom did get remarried when I was 18, but I never, I only lived with them for just a short period of time. Mm -hmm. I didn't really get to see that. And I didn't want anything to do with my stepdad, even though he was a great guy. I didn't really trust. I didn't know that he was going to be a good guy. So I didn't really yeah. trust that. So I just kept, kind of kept that at arm's length. I just didn't have any idea what a quality relationship looked like. So I went in with a lot of expectations that were unfair, I think, to my husband. And I didn't date my husband long enough to really lay any kind of foundation. I don't think I knew, you know, what, what to do, what to expect. We definitely struggled a lot in those first few years trying mm -hmm. to figure all that out. But he's a good guy. Somehow I ended up marrying a good guy. We have had a lot of issues to iron out. Yeah, it was not easy. And a lot of it was because I, I, I sort of expected him to leave at any time. It's weird. Like I just thought this is not forever. And that's not the way you should enter marriage. Yeah, that's abandonment though. Those yeah. are abandonment right. issues that you're, yeah. you've been abandoned and you were truly abandoned and you were abandoned by your father. So here's a new man in your life and you kind of expect to be abandoned. I know I dealt with abandonment problems too. When we deal with that, what we do is we, since we anticipate that we either either cling or we push people away from yeah. us, we find ourselves, I'm sure, real react. Yeah, I just kind of kept a wall up. Like, I don't think I really let him to, I didn't trust him with my heart fully. Mm -hmm. I wanted to, so I was lonely, but I didn't. Tell me about your situation with your dad as an adult and how you 
came to the point where you wanted to try to work on this? Well, interestingly, it was after I, I had my son because I watched my husband be a, a good dad. And I realized it, it hit me so hard. Like, this is what this was supposed to look like. And I missed out on that. I so remember just feeling like I was supposed to be loved like that. And I didn't get that. I realized that a lot of the struggles my husband and I had and a lot of my internal turmoil and difficulty because I was, I had always kind of kept one foot in Christianity or I thought I was and one foot out. Like I wasn't really fully committed to God. I never realized that God loved me mm -hmm. very, I just felt unlovable and I didn't know what his grace looked like or felt like I didn't accept it or understand it. When you feel like you're never good enough for God because you're just constantly messing up, you don't really know how to cross that bridge to let him love you. It, it wasn't until I was really at a bad place where my marriage was kind of struggling and I started reaching out for help. I, I got some counseling from a pastor. I started reading books, which back in the 80s, there wasn't really a lot. There was yeah. some, but I started reading books and I just started pursuing um, information. And I started when she finally got on the air, when I finally heard about Dr. Laura, I listened to her. I listened to any kind of advice show that I could that might give me something. I was just starving for answers, but I really, I was searching. And so when I was finally, that was about, I was 26 when my son was born. So I would say probably sometime 26, 27. I also ended up in the same city as Randall. That's my biological dad. I, I won't call him dad. He was visiting my sister. I happened to be in town, visit with my son. And he again made a big difference. He was buying gifts for, for my niece and nephew and ignoring my son and mm -hmm. me. And so I confronted him for the first time. I was 28 and I pretty much told him what it was like to be the daughter that he didn't want. And uh, that was one of several times that I kind of confronted him. What did he do? Oh gosh. One thing I haven't said about him, he's a narcissist, okay. very much so. He fits the classic characteristics of narcissism. What can you do for me? He's the center of the universe. You know, yeah, he made a lot, he's always been a, kind of a con man and liar, even spent three years in prison for white collar crimes, so to speak, business crimes. So he did a lot of dancing, trying to, you know, and I pretty much stuck with it. I wasn't going to let him escape that quickly and that easily. We had a pretty tough conversation. I asked him to make it right to quit saying those things about my mom because he was still telling people that, by the way. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Even my mom's grandchildren said, what do you want from me? And I said, I want you to go back and clear my mother's name. I want you. And I also wanted him to acknowledge me, too, besides. But I, I just wanted that. He said, well, you know, he gave me a song and dance. Mm -hmm. and, and I had nothing to hold him to. I offered then to do a DNA test, which at that point was blood work and I offered to pay for that and he wouldn't do it because he doesn't like needles and honestly Carla the the big thing was that God was right there pursuing me the whole time that's what I the message I want to get across because it wasn't me working all this out it was God working in me to start to heal my heart I had to be ready for it and I had yes. to be available to it and I I was pursuing it but God met me there because when I was 32, this is four years after that first confrontation, and I was struggling in my marriage, and I knew that, I, I knew that, and I always said it like this, that the pit, in the, in the bottom of the pit that I was laying in was that father garbage. I knew it. 
And so I went to a woman's retreat and God orchestrated this whole circumstance that was mind blowing to me now that, I, I mean, I, details we don't necessarily need to say now, but even where my best friend I counted on to help me through everything in life, she wasn't even there for me. And I was at the retreat with her because she was distracted with someone else who needed her more. And I literally, the retreat speaker spoke right to me during the first session and I bawled my eyes out and I went and did some business with God. He basically said to me through a very long wrestling with him, I would say, um, as I'm crying out, why didn't I have a father? Why didn't I have a dad that loved me? He said, I was your father. I loved you. I took care of you. I was there for you. Stop chasing the one who doesn't know how to love you. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that was the message I took away from that. And he said, look at all these people I've given to love you. Your grandpa, your stepdad, your husband, you're not focusing on them. Your eyes, you're, you're tearing up even now. Yeah. It's so emotional. But just because I remember that moment, how powerful that was, realizing that the God of the universe loves me like a daughter and I'm ignoring him. Yeah. I'm ignoring him. And you know what? That was just what my biological father did. He ignored me. I wasn't acknowledging my relationship and how much God loved me. It was pretty powerful. I came away from that retreat with a different, I was a different person. Even the people around me said, you just seem different. I, I knew I was going to let go of Randall and I was going to embrace my, my stepdad, which I started to do even from afar, from California to Michigan. And uh, I just started focusing on the people that knew how to love me. And, and from that, I started learning all kinds of different things about counseling and I knew eventually I was gonna help women with that were in the same circumstance and I and I did. I just what grew out of that was an opportunity. Counseling training and then life coach training. I started a support group and through that I've really healed a lot. But I've read probably thirty or forty books including a couple of yours, <laughs> which has all yeah. helped me. Well and all the things that you described that you struggled with, you know, the self-esteem, the not feeling close to God, all wondering why you're not lovable, all of those things and more are normal for yes. girls who do yeah. not have that place and that relationship with their father that they desperately need. Tell me what you do when you work with somebody from the beginning to the end in that process. Oh. What do the people have to do in order to make peace with their father? Isn't that what you call it? Yes, making peace with your father. I started this in 2004. This will be this next January. I'll be doing this another one in 2021, and it's it's 12 weeks. Really powerful, really really powerful. You come out changed at the end because I honestly have to say that this curriculum is something that I developed that God gave me step by step, and it has grown over the years. And I've stayed in touch with a lot of the women that have that have went through it. I hear backstories about their reconciliation or even just the peace within themselves and how it changed their marriage. People start off really nervous and anxious about even wanting to share any of the details. Some, some are ready to spill it all out. We give a very safe environment, but we also ask the people that are there to commit to it and they become very bonded to each other. We're literally great friendships have been born out of those groups too. But we really work hard to try to find out what each individual person is struggling with what has how has the rejection from their dad their stepdad the father figure whoever it was and it can even be death by the way is abandonment mm -hmm. too yes. depending on how it was handled as well in their family how has that impacted them what has it done to their life how has it impacted their life today many many times 
probably I would say three quarters of the women have been divorced. Almost always it, it impacts a marriage to that point mm-hmm. where it ends up influencing their choice of a spouse so much that they choose someone unhealthy. We just work with what's, what they have and we dive into how can you take an honest look at that and how can you embrace God's love? What do we need to do to recognize that God, our Heavenly Father, loves us and He's right there with us in the pain even, even in the, the abuse, even in the difficulty. That's not something He ever wanted to have happen to His children. And it's the beginning, it's the launching point of healing. You're not going to have a 12-week miracle. Right. A lot of work is done in that, but it also gives them tools to continue as well. Do you also find that there's anger toward God? Like, why weren't you there and why did you let this happen? To where it's sometimes that has to be worked through before they Mm -hmm. can begin to feel God's love? Yes, very much so. And that's, that's a long process to, to be able to get there. But one thing that I, that helped me and it's helped a lot of the women that I've worked with, uh, both in the support group and individual counseling, is that your father was given a job by God and he didn't do it. He didn't do it correctly. He maybe even intentionally harmed you. He disappointed God first and God forgives. He forgave me, even though I didn't deserve it. My biological father didn't deserve forgiveness, but I have forgiven him. And that forgiveness releases us from having to pay them back, finding vengeance or from carrying the pain forever. And it gives it to God. I know that God dealt with my biological father, either here on earth or when he died, because he died several years ago. I had to give that to God. I'm not going to hold on to the hate and the anger anymore because it was, it was poisoning me and being toxic to me. It wasn't hurting Randall. It was hurting me. There was no reason to hold on to that. And when I could give it to God and let him deal with it, and he's going to be much better at it than I am. He's going to have a much bigger impact. So that's the process I go through with these women is to help them to be able to realize that the anger is really covering up pain and it's pain in the hurt, which is many times covering up fear, fear that I'm never going to be lovable, fear that I'm never going to be okay, fear that I'm never going to have good relationships, fear that if I give up this anger, that's going to make me more vulnerable. Yes. And so we have to find out what is it, what's, where is it and what is it? And so we can, can work with that. And now you never did tell us when you demanded that your stepdad make it right with your mom. My biological dad. Yeah, I mean, uh-huh. yeah, your biological yeah. dad. Did he? Oh, no, he didn't. Of course not. He did not. No. And so let me tell you this one last thing, which is just a, a God thing. How <laughs> God works things out? Because I come to peace with all of this through all of my counseling training, through all of my books and work and, and such. And even it started with support groups biological dad was living with his fourth wife in Florida near my brothers, where my brothers had moved to my parents, or my, I call my parents, my mom, my stepdad, they have a house in Florida. So this weird circumstance was in Southern Florida, where the bio dad was in the same town as my mom and her new husband, right? Which been married, they've been married forever. And they found out that he was still telling my mother's grandchildren when they would ask, why aren't there any pictures of Rick and Diane in your house? And he would say, well, I don't think they're mine. And well, why don't you ever really, you don't have, you don't think they're what, why aren't my cousins part? Why aren't they here? Why aren't they invited to come to this, you know, anniversary party to this wedding to whatever we were still excluded all, all those years. I mean, he never, ever did anything 
to make that right. So my brothers got a lot of family members to support them to get a DNA test. Now it's just saliva. Okay. He no longer has to face a needle. And we paid for it so that he would shut up about my mother. I was 43. And as I said, already starting started my uh, support groups. Even we get the news back after the, we all went to get DNA tests. I in California, they are all in Florida. And of course, proved that we were his, which we knew all along anyway. My mom was always for it, always willing to pay for it, always willing to, to be part of that. He was the only one that wasn't all the way up to that year. So finally, here we are, 43. I get a DNA test proving that what we all knew. And the ironic thing was, is that it wasn't going to change much for me. But as I said, this is a God thing. So I find out that he wants to, I'm going to Florida a year or so after the DNA test. And I really didn't want anything to do with him, frankly, because he's a narcissistic, selfish, uses people. You know, I don't, I don't need that. I had already come to peace with, he's not who I need and I can accept that. And I, he lost out on a great mm -hmm. daughter, great grandchildren, terrific grandchildren, and knowing me and my family, I was at peace with that. But God had a different plan because he said, I found out Randall wanted to meet up with me when I came to Florida to visit my brothers and my mom. And at first I didn't really want to, but God said, no, I, 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 there's a reason I want you to do this. So I met up with Randall by myself. My daughter and I were the only ones going. It was a spring break trip for her. And I met with him and he was so nervous. And I said, why did you do that? Why would you do that? You, you, you must have known that I was yours. I literally held his feet to the fire and he apologized and he asked for forgiveness. Wow. And he actually, he was so anxious. So it was a good moment to feel that and see that. And he finally was nice to me. He finally, we had a big family cookout and he was there and he couldn't do enough for me. It was weird. Previously always ignored and treated like trash. Couldn't do enough. He even moved me. I was in a hotel he moved me to a condo that my uncle owned where Outtown guests got to stay. Nice condo. He moved me there the next day. And then we got together again. This is an interesting thing because I was sitting at this lunch in a backyard barbecue uh, the next day after. So all this, uh, he'd already asked for forgiveness. He'd already said he was sorry. And we're sitting at this backyard barbecue and kids are playing and cousins are there and and things. And it was like Satan was whispering in my ear, what are you doing here? He doesn't deserve this time with you and your daughter. And I stopped and I just started praying, God, I trust you. I know that if I'm not supposed to be here, you need, you can, you will tell me. And God spoke really clearly to me. And I saw like a clean chalkboard, like a little kid's chalkboard. And it was like, I gave you a clean slate. I want you to give him one. Wow. And that's all I saw and heard. And that, from that moment on, I let, I just relaxed. And we had several other good talks through the course of that weekend. He said, well, what do we do now? And I said, you burned the bridge. You have to build the bridge. Good for you. I'm going to, I will accept your phone calls. I'll accept, you know, a visit if you want to come, but I'm, I've done what I needed to do and I'm feeling good with it, but you burned it, you build it. And that was where I left it with him. And he called a few times and you know, through the years after, but, but not wanting to get together with you or anything. He tried, he wanted to, you know, but he had a lot of health issues by then. So, and he died just a few years later. Did he call you before he died? Um, no, I called him. I found out he was in a bad, bad shape. I was told. So I called him and I just said, this was the two days before he died. 
I just want you to know that I'm at peace with everything with us, oh. that I, I'm at a good place and I want to make sure that you are. Is there anything you want to say to me? And he said, no, I'm feeling like we said everything. Now, did you go to his funeral? No, I did not. Why not? I don't remember. It just wasn't, I didn't feel compelled to. Okay. I just didn't, I didn't feel compelled to. I, honestly, it felt like a distant uncle had died. I didn't feel close to him ever. I was at peace with that. And, you know, I had small kids, didn't feel compelled to. So when, when you had that experience with God, where God mm -hmm. said, look to me, mm -hmm. you felt that you opened yourself up to that love of God. So then yes. having, though, in addition to that, having that father that did acknowledge you, could you feel it like emotionally when you were with him or did it just feel, were you so detached from him at that point that you just didn't like soak it up? I didn't need it. And I think that's the key. I didn't need it from him to be okay, but it was a missing piece in that I was like, ah, okay. And I think that's why God had me go. It was both for Randall to be at peace when he died but, and to be able to say, please forgive me, like over and over again, he must've said it 30 times in that mm -hmm. weekend, I'm sorry and forgive me. But I also know that it was a missing piece that I, I knew what it felt like to sit across from him and hear him say that and to have him finally acknowledge me. So I think that was the missing piece, but I had already embraced my stepdad as my dad okay. and I had already let him kind of fill that void. And I'd already embraced God's love and let God be my heavenly father in a deeper way than I ever, ever had. And I had worked so hard to get there. There wasn't a void anymore. And I also knew Randall had very little emotional depth. Yes. So there wasn't really a lot. That he could give you. No. And when we would talk, it was so superficial. So I just took it for what it was. Just the apology, the asking for forgiveness. I had already forgiven him. This is a, just a piece that God put in the mm -hmm. puzzle. And it was nice to have. Yeah. Not everybody gets that right. opportunity to right. have the, any resolution at all. So in your class, do you encourage the participants to seek out a meeting confrontation or something like that with their fathers to get that closure? Or do you... I wouldn't say encourage uh, because some it depends on the circumstance. I meet with them individually, one-on-one, um, -on -one, and we kind of talk about that. I don't ever want any woman to feel pressured to do that. Okay. So there's no expectation I will help them if they choose to. And it doesn't have to be during that 12 weeks. I've had women call me back. Literally, I had won this past spring, and it had been five years since she did my support group, and she was finally going to talk to her dad and he was diagnosed with a terminal illness and her brother, both of whom had abused her. Mm -hmm. And she wanted me to help her walk her through that process and pray with her. And I talked to her several times before over the phone. And then after it had happened, she, after she went to visit, she was a different woman when she walked into that room to meet with him than she was the last time she'd seen him. Basically different. Part of what sometimes, some, and, and like, you don't always get that acknowledgement no. or that apology, but sometimes they're dead, right? They're gone. So you just have to do the work. Coming to them in a different place, a place of strength, like you said, where you were already filled up and you had already worked through it and you didn't have the anger and the resentment kind of opens the door mm -hmm. for that. Some people don't have that luxury when they first right. talk to their dad. Um, I just talked to somebody in another one of my classes uh, who asked me the same question about going to meet a stepdad mm -hmm. who he had never spoken to the stepdad about the physical abuse and emotional abuse this stepdad had inflicted mm -hmm. on him. 
And he just said, I feel like I want to talk to him about it. He's got kids, you know, and the dad isn't stepdads in his life. And I said, how do you think he's going to take it? And he said, probably not well. He, he doesn't admit it. And I said, why don't you try having a conversation with him and just ask him, hey, what was it like for you growing up? What was your relationship like yeah. with your dad? Maybe you'll find out that he didn't have a great relationship with his dad. And then you can come when you're comfortable, bring up, you know, that's kind of how I felt with you and see if that eases you into the the conversation, not saying that people can't show anger mm -hmm. or the resentment or whatever it is they have, because there is a place to show the anger sure. and the pain. Like you said, let me tell you what it was yes, like to be, to be the daughter you didn't want. <laughs> yes. When you, you had siblings yeah, yeah. that he wanted. I mean, yeah. and it, it was in my face. Oh my gosh. That's clearly. just so hard. Mm -hmm. yeah, so hard. what did you ever find anything out about his childhood? He was doted on. He and his brothers, he, his parents were married and I knew his, his mom and dad a little bit more in my adulthood than I ever did in a child, as a child, but, and I had pursued that with them as an adult. The only thing that, that I, cause I've talked to my aunt who I'm close to, I've talked to other people that know him to try to figure that out. He was doted on, he, he and his two brothers could do no harm. Mm. And the mom um, had been an orphan when she was growing up and she overprotected her her boys. Uh, the father was a little weak on that. He was not the disciplinarian that he should have been with his boys. And so I don't know how that impacted them. Well, that is one way to make narcissists is to completely dote on a child yes. and make the child feel that he or she is incredibly special and deserves all that attention yes. and all that praise. And, and all never that do wrong. Could never do wrong. And all three of her sons ended up being kind of narcissistic. What would you hope that Listeners take away from the interview. And let me just say real quick, I think these principles apply to men too, oh, yes. who've had problems with their fathers. You mm -hmm. have worked with women, but I don't, the difference that I see is for women, we kind of have that daddy hole where we need that love mm -hmm. and that affection and attention. And for men, it's really that model of a man and a masculinity that they need. And also that affirmation and right. approval Acceptance, from the man. approval, significance. Yes. Yes. And love to know that you matter and that you're acceptable. All of those things are mm -hmm. universal between the genders. Yes. So it doesn't and, matter. You know, if you're... A little girl needs to know that she's sort of his sweetheart, that he's going to protect her. Mm -hmm. And boys more need to know that they're a man, that dad has confidence in them. So what would you want listeners, men and women, to take away from the interview? What would you suggest would be a next step for somebody listening? I would like them to take away that healing is possible. You don't have to live in the shadow of this pain for the rest of your life. I too have talked to women in their 70s who were shaking, talking about their biological dad who was 90 and he was going to die and they wanted to talk to him first. I've, I've talked to those women. Don't live with that and seek healing um, from that, whether it's through uh, one of your classes, through um, a support group, through individual counseling, whatever it is, deal with it. Go find some help and realize that God as your heavenly father is there and he wants to heal you. He wants to help you through that. You have to release it to him. You have to let yourself be vulnerable with God and pursue that healing and it's worth it. It's so worth it. The peace that you feel in your in your soul, in your heart, in your life, and the way that you approach relationships is so different. We're not 
built to feel like we're unacceptable. No, we're not. We, we need acceptance. And then once we feel acceptable to God and we get the right perspective with those who rejected us, which for me was realizing that it wasn't me. I, I could have been anybody as born as his third child and it would have been the same. So I didn't do anything to deserve his rejection and abandonment. I was just a little kid. He didn't even know me. I didn't deserve any of that, that it was just his failure as a human being to do what God had asked him to do. And so I had to realize that it wasn't my inadequacy. It was my biological dad's inadequacy. His mm -hmm. name is, as I said, I call him Randall. It was his inadequacy to be a, a proper dad. By the way, he wasn't a great dad of the ones that he did accept. Oh, good just know. so you know, <laughs> just so you know. Yeah, there's six of us. And because uh, he had a sixth child with a fourth wife, none of us got out unscathed. I want people to take away that they can embrace God, that they can seek out that healing to acknowledge him as their heavenly father and let him fill that void. And if you can't do that on your own, seek help. That is very good. I, every, the interview is everything I wanted and hoped oh, it would be good. for first one. I think people will really be helped listening to it. And I know that was your hope and prayer yes. and mine too. So I thank you for coming in today. January 2021 is the beginning of the, of the support group that I mentioned that is life-changing. And I have testimonials, a list of testimonials and people that are um, at Canyon Hills Friends Church in Yorba Linda. Mm -hmm. I want people to know that if that's something that you feel like you want to do, pray about it. And you can reach me. Carl will yes. give you that information. Be happy um, to. Even look at the website for Canyon yes. Hills Friends Church in Yorba Linda. There'll be one in 2022. and God willing. Yeah. God willing in 2023. Yeah. So uh, please get a hold of me at any time. And like we both said, to look for next step resources support in some ways. Thank you very much. We'll look forward to having you listen to the next podcast, which will be on spiritual abuse and manipulation in the church. Could be quite interesting. Thank you and God bless. Thank you for listening to this interview on Change My Relationship. We hope you will subscribe to these podcasts and share them with your friends. Carla would love to hear from you. She welcomes ideas for future podcasts as well as your feedback on how the podcast have helped your life and relationships. You can email her at carla at changemyrelationship.com. For more information on Change My Relationship and Carla Downing's ministry, including her books, studies, devotionals, podcast, and YouTube videos, visit changemyrelationship.com.